Welcome to the Next Gen Marketing Podcast, where we feature top execs and influencers blazing new trails in consumer engagement, content strategy, digital media, and brand design. And now, here's your host, Andre Najjar. Hi, everyone. I just wrapped up a fascinating conversation with Nicola and Anna um, of the Story Mob, which is the world's first female-founded and led esports and gaming agency. In the episode, we talk about the sheer size and power of the gaming market. I think the numbers are going to blow you away. Key players and platforms in it and ultimately the need for authenticity in creating marketing campaigns, which is really where agencies like the Story Mob come in. I myself learned a ton about esports in our conversation and definitely see why the Story Mob has been such a breakout success. With that said, please enjoy the episode. Anna and Nicola, I'm so excited to have you on the show. What you guys are doing is so innovative. Tell us a bit about the Story Mob. For sure. So uh, the Story Mob is a communications group um, that focuses on gaming culture, be that um, competitive gaming, uh, which is by, uh, that's what we mean by esports, or gaming culture, streaming, entertainment, all things basically that come from a from a gaming starting point. Uh, so we are coming into now. We've just celebrated our third birthday, oh, um, and thanks. And uh, we work with anybody who's interested in the gaming space or anybody who's already inside the gaming space. So be that a brand trying to figure out the best way to speak to gamers or to enter the esports ecosystem in a in a you know a authentic way. Um, or it could be, you know, a tournament organizer. It could be an esports team, like the equivalent of the the Yankees in terms of video games. Uh, we work with a bunch of different brands within the space and outside of the space. That's great. Now, you know, I did want to do a quick one-on-one clarification for my audience, only because I know some of us are still relative, you know, newbies when it comes to gaming. So as far as esports goes ver- versus traditional gaming, you defined it as more of the competitive leagues. Is that correct? Yeah. So if you think about, um, you know, any traditional sport, right, there's going to be uh, the the sort of top 1%. Like I enjoy you know, playing a game of softball with my friends in the park, but I'm never going to compete um, for the for the Major League Baseball. Um, but I enjoy watching it. So the pinnacle, the absolute top of competitive um, achievement is what we mean when we talk about esports. Right? We talk about right. the 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 very highest, um, most uh, concentrated effort of skill. Um, and that could be anything from, you know, the League of Legends World Championship, which is the most watched event, uh, gaming event of all time. Um, and regularly, by the way, tops the Super Bowl. Um, wow. Or it could Amazing. be, you know, or it could be a, a smaller tournament for a game that's that's just getting going. What it refers to basically is the competitive aspect. Um, and that's typically done by the best gamers in the world. How big is the esports industry right now, globally? Um, you'll see a lot of different figures on this. It's it's 100% in the billions. Um, wow. uh, 
but again it it depends how you're viewing it in terms of traditional signifiers like viewership like i've said it's overtaken a lot of traditional sports uh the viewership that you'll see for a world championship of some of the biggest sports is is mind-blowing um but in terms of investment in terms of growth it's it's the fastest growing sport of all time pretty much it's amazing Um, yeah if you I had actually pulled some numbers. It looks like it's topped over 3 billion gamers worldwide. And it's actually evenly divided. It looks like it's about 45% female, 55% male. And what I found was interesting, too, is the average gamer ages, which I'm sure you know much better than I do. But I did find that it was 37 for females and 33 for males. Yeah, surprising, right? You always think of it as teenage boys. Well, you know, that's what I think is so interesting about um, this space is that really it's been an evolution. I know during COVID, we had an interview with Epic Games and we were talking about how the Travis Scott concert was one of the largest concerts of all time, which I think really speaks to the power of this audience. Yeah, that concert is mind blowing how big it was. It's 100% the biggest concert of all time. And that's, you know... that's crazy to me. The fact that so many people came together to watch a live performance all at the same time within, you know, a, a virtual environment. It just shows how far our entertainment has come and how much of our lives and our shared experiences are online. And I think that's what esports really taps into. This is a generation that we're looking for a sport to to support. Right? Even if you're not necessarily into, you know, the sports that your dad grew up with, the baseballs, the basketballs. Um, you still have that urge to support a team, to be part of a tribe, to cheer, to, you know, to to commiserate. Um, and esports has just unlocked that for an entire digital generation. It's it's the most powerful movement in gaming for you know since since gaming became mainstream. Now, Anna, if I could ask you a quick question, I wanted to hear more about, you know, I I find it really fascinating that you guys are the first female-led esports and gaming agency. And I wanted to find out, tell me a bit about your backgrounds. Like, how did you guys begin? What was sort of the impetus, the goal, and the mission? Yeah, for sure. Um, So, Nicola, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we met in 2014 at IEM Katowice. Yep. Um, And very very quickly became friends and over the years we we talked a lot we compared notes a lot and figured out we actually were running into same problems so we mm-hmm. had to travel hiring for our teams we were explaining the same thing to media over and over again we were sitting in similar pitch meetings where we listened to brands coming to us and our respective uh, respective employers with ideas that you know we listened listened in and and um had similar opinions about um but in 2017 nicolas general's friend that she is she took me on a birthday trip to iceland wow and uh, this is the, this is the official story this is the true founding <laughs> story of story mob we we got really drunk <laughs> that's great <laughs> it's, it's very, very expensive to get drunk in iceland mind you so stuck up and boost at the airport but um we just sat there and and we had to work. We were on a birthday trip, but we had to work. And, and one evening, we just went out to dinner and, and had, I want to say, two or three bottles of wine. And we're like, well, you know what? We should probably do this for ourselves. And but I don't remember which one of us 
said that first, but I remember being very, very quiet for a couple of minutes and actually the penny dropped. Like, yeah, this is actually possible. Um, fast forward six months and wow. the brand was there. The first investment was there. Um, the name was there. Um, first clients were starting to, you know, line up. So that went very, very quickly after that. Amazing. Tell me about the significance behind the name, The Story Mob. Well, we oh, were, yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> it's actually really hard to name a company um, <laughs> because, you know, having just named a child, I, that's, that was super easy, right? Because there's a list of names that you can choose from, but you could literally call your company anything. So Anna and I struggled initially, but one of the things that we were very clear about is that we wanted everything to be rooted in story and storytelling, right? Because we, that. you know, we believe that stories just make up so much of our gaming universe and weren't being told in with the a louder megaphone as they deserved so story was always racking around in our brain and then the mob part you know we we saw ourselves as uh kind of like hired guns you know like a like a hired kind of militia who would come in and and do the job and um and sort of smash things up and then leave like i i i loved that that sense that we were part of a collective and that there was something you know kind of off about the collective like a little dangerous it just and then the the words just started to roll together once once we lined them up i love that i think that's so interesting and i want to ask you a bit more about how that narrative element of storytelling how that plays in gaming how is it different how is it similar than other universes i guess for lack of a better phrase like i'd love to hear more about that narrative and that narrative process and how you work with clients yeah i mean i i draw two two clear mainstream comparisons one is sports and one is entertainment Right. So if you think about the sports heroes that you that you admire, you admire them for the same reasons, you know, you admire anybody doing amazing things. Right? They're, they're aspirational. They're pushing themselves to levels that you never could. You know, they represent skill and achievement and style and cool and class. And that is not universal to sports. That is mm-hmm. or, to, or to traditional sports. Right. Um, if you look at a player like Doublelift or Bjergsen, um, both retired now, but they were absolute legends in the world of of league of legends ironically um you know they they had their highs they had their lows they took home trophies they had you know significant like personal styles i feel like i know them i've followed them for years and and those to me are are my sports heroes um Mm -hmm. and then in the world of entertainment it's the same like i you know i i look up to actors or entertainers uh, because I appreciate something about their style or the way that they present themselves or they're just they're funny to me or they're you know tragic or whatever it is um, and it's the same thing if I tune into a ninja stream or you know uh, or, or, or anybody that is entertaining me in the same way some of these guys legitimately have bigger followings than what you consider to be like a traditional Hollywood star oh, absolutely. Um, and th- there's a reason for that, right? They they represent me better than a Hollywood star ever could. They they mm. represent my interests and the kind of person and the kind of interests and and things that I do on my spare time. So, uh, yeah. So I'd say, you know, challenging things on two fronts: the the traditional sports world and the entertainment and sort of celebrity model. Nicola, you talked about an interesting level of interactivity and almost intimacy from a fandom perspective. I'd love to learn a bit more about that. Like, tell me a little bit more about 
how fans are able to interface with their with their favorite talent celebrities gamers whatever you want to call that character like tell me a bit more because i agree that there's more intimacy yeah this is actually my favorite topic i we we put out a white paper called beautiful weirdos um and the you know it's kind of a provocative title but what we were trying to get across is that this is a whole new depth of celebrity that we're experiencing now right like i love lebron james but he might as well be behind glass Right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't, you know, I don't interact with him. I've never spoken to him. I, I never will get anywhere close to him. I, I, I don't feel that sense of immediacy. Whereas, you know, if I'm logging onto a double lift stream, I, I see myself reflected. He's kind of a, he's a quirky guy, right? Just like I, you know, or just you know, like I was growing up. He's, um, he's immediately available. He is is explaining his thought process like imagine and this is a tired comparison but imagine if lebron james had a gopro strapped to him while Mm -hmm. he was you know taking layups or practicing or just chilling right how much better do you feel like you would get to know him outside of these kind of much more structured sports environments and i feel that way about about these guys plus these guys you know they don't look like traditional celebrities they're not sanitized they're you know they're scrolls yeah, I mean the 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 trolls and the you know they're funny and they're quirky and they're moody and they you know they they're not scrubbed clean. They represent the audience that they come from so much more than any other um, celebrity has in the past. So what we're seeing now is kind of a democratization of celebrity, and it just makes those bonds so much closer. It makes the 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 capacity for these guys to have fans so much bigger. It's amazing. It's it's brilliant to see. It really is. It's so interesting. And I wanted to ask you too, like, would you say that this space is more talent driven? Is it becoming more league driven? Like, I know that there's different perspectives on this. Can you help kind of educate the audience a bit on sort of the affinity connection point? Like, is it is it talent? Is it league? So I think it depends. Um, I think People can be fans of an individual player. They can be fans of a team. Uh, they could also be fans of, you know, streamers or entertainers that have nothing to do with the competitive ecosystem at all. But I do think there's a stronger case to be made for people following individual voices right now in esports specifically than there is with teams. Um, if you take, you know, I, I mentioned the Yankees earlier, right? Yankees have had what 150 years to build up a brand. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm a Yankees fan, I'll see players come and go, but I won't necessarily, you know, leave based on a, my favorite player of mine leaving. Um, esports teams have a, have a little ways to go before they reach that level of achievement. So you do see a lot more fans who identify more strongly with a favorite player. Um, but, you know, esports is in the West, at least, um, is is starting to get on in terms of years. So I think you will see that start to change, especially as we hopefully get back to live events um, and can revisit some some things that people are trying out with local affiliations right? and, and geolocations. Um, but for now, I think the player brand is the strongest. Yeah, absolutely. How would you say that the influencer perspective 
is different, let's say, from a gaming influencer versus an entertainment influencer. You talked a lot about the interactivity with fans. Are there any other differences that you see? Like, I mean, the obvious example would be, like, how would a Kylie Jenner be different than, like, let's say, a Ninja? Like, like tell me a little bit about, about that experience, I guess, from an influencer perspective. Yeah, I mean, it, what we have to acknowledge as well is that so much of the gaming industry is made up of, you know, what you consider to be influencers um, and not necessarily hardcore athletes. If I right. tune into any of my favorite streamers um, on any given day, they could be doing a gym stream, right? They could be cooking. They could be just chatting. There's literally a, <laughs> a, um, a, a topic on Twitch called just chatting for that yep. specific purpose. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite uh, entertainment guys, his name is Austin. Um, he does the Austin show, which is it's like a it's like a dating show. Yeah. Um, he's hilarious to watch. He comes from the gaming culture, but, you know, it's it's not necessarily tied to being specifically in a game. Absolutely. So but I think to your main question, I think it's just to do with, again, sort of sanitization. Right. Like these guys are more immediate. If all I need in order to start streaming is a little bit of talent, hopefully a camera and a laptop. I don't even need a camera. Right. A lot of the time it's kind of built into my laptop if I want to do a pretty shitty looking stream. Um, so there's nothing stopping me from being able to outreach to people as long as my personality is enough to drive it home i don't need you know the sort of wealth and material stuff that like a kylie jenner does to rise above the mass if i'm if i'm a you know funny to watch if i'm entertaining then i'll start to take off regardless of that stuff so it's much much more personality based i think and much more immediate and and more familial because of that i love that you use that term you know, sanitized from an image standpoint, we had a strategist on one of the more recent episodes that talked about how in some ways lo-fi is becoming the new hi-fi, but it's coexisting in this hi-fi space, whereas people find more endearment toward talent that just pick up their iPhone and start recording. And there's actually been this movement you know, amongst Gen Z against Instagram moving more into TikTok because Instagram has become so polished and so predictable and so controlled, whereas TikTok is much more random. It's much more where people just sort of pick up their cameras and they go. So I think, um, you know, you're, you're touching upon something that's an interesting trend, you know, not only in the esports and gaming space, but just this accessibility to influencers i think it's going to continue yeah for sure i mean the, make no mistake these are not kind of you know uh, i i referenced some of the uh, the numbers earlier but these are guys who command and gals who command massive audiences mm -hmm. you know the massive audiences that traditional influencers would be super jealous of so it's not a question of them being like unpolished or or un you know or, or or somehow less it's just a question of a specific style i think the the gaming audience as a whole and gaming culture responds to authenticity above all things right i think they can sniff out bullshit immediately and i think this is why personality is so so important in this yeah. group more so than any other group it's not about artifice this isn't this isn't a, a, a group that's impressed by external things. They, you know, they're, they're focused on content. 
I think that's a great clarification. I actually, on, on that note of authenticity, is that ever a challenge for you, you know, kind of shifting gears a bit to how you work with brands? You know, when you deal with some of the larger corporate brands that have the deep pockets and the budgets, is that ever an issue like where, let's say, marketers want to influence the content too strongly? Or can you talk a little bit about sort of um, how you guys work with brands and some of the challenges and, and sort of, you know, just jumping into sort of the brand sphere? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I know, you know, Anna has some insights here too from from all the times that we worked with brands together. I think, um, I'll so I'll tell you a story. Um, a couple yeah. of years ago, I uh, was helping a major brand. It's a soft drink brand. I won't name them, but <laughs> they were um, uh, trying to find, I believe it was a marketing firm to to work on, you know, their esports projects with them. I sat through five different uh, responses to an RFP mm-hmm. and not one of the groups could name a single player wow. outside of outside of like the obvious ones that had been put in the in the brief. Right. I, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to be an expert on everything. Right? That's that's certainly not how this this works. But it, it's it's so critical to know what you're talking about because the audience is so is so demanding in this sphere that you're you're dead in the water if you you know you capitalize the s in esports um if you you know put your um sponsorship dollars behind the wrong esport or the wrong tournament or you you know you do a cringy meme that's just five seconds too late and behind the curve this is an audience that will absolutely skewer you so there's just no excuse for not knowing your stuff when there's experts to turn to. And that's one of the reasons why Anna and I set up in the way that we did, because we understand these audiences, these communities, because we're part of them. You know, we we work amongst them every day. We know what's important to them. We can warn of road road bumps and, and potential, you know, kamikaze moves along the way. Um, and we can help people avoid them. Anna, if I can ask you a question real quick, I want to talk a bit about, I definitely want to go more into brands, but I also want to talk about the evolution, you know, now knowing that you guys have, you know, are very deeply in this space and, and sort of on a personal level too, where have you seen the gaming space in the past and how has it evolved and where do you see it going in the future? Oh, that's such a great Nicola question. (laughs) I love it. Good. Good. Um, we, well, today is actually a very good day to talk about this because we have just launched our new brand that focuses exactly on that. And in the brand, brand manifesto, we say gaming is that red thread that just threads through every single industry mm-hmm. that your life, you know, your life might touch. And so, you know, gaming and and entertainment is Travis Scott and, and Fortnite, but gaming and sport is esports. Gaming can be art, gaming can be cultural experience, can be gaming can be your social moments, your new safe, all those kind of things. So I think we we moved from um you know the the single player um uh, individual experience of you know saturday morning snow days um not going to school kind of thing where gaming was just that thing that grabbed you and and immersed you and 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 you had maybe friends or family around and that's how you experienced it right Mm -hmm. now it's this global online connected multi-platform um social moment almost uh, for so many titles, for so many people, um, I, some of my best friends that I have in my life are gaming friends. Wow! Uh, people I have 
yeah, people have actually that met in person many times, but I've met I have met them online and 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 they're great people. Um, so I think gaming in that sense has become so much more of a social moment and a cultural experience than than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. You know, on that note, the gaming industry sort of gets a lot of flack for mental health. And I'm curious, and I know I know some of the influencers have spoken up about it. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of where that conversation is at right now? Um, so it, it, it can be subdivided into a couple of things. Um, I think, you know, some of the some of the loudest voices in the space that are talking about mental health are talking about accountability and toxicity online. And this is just an extension of our online lives, right? If, you know, if we're going to spend our lives online or significant portions of our lives online, um, which we all are doing as part of this pandemic, right? um, How can we hold ourselves accountable to having the same care and attention for each other that we would have offline? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a constant battle because, you know, you, uh, the classic thing, right? You take the internet, you add anonymity and you create an asshole. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be that way, especially in gaming spaces. So publishers in the space, uh, that work with live games have various ways of dealing with this. Um, and some of the best are just, you know, educating their audience, asking them to take accountability, creating mechanisms to report and to, you know, monitor behavior online so that we can all improve together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what would they're finding for the most part is that, you know, audiences, gamers aren't inherently toxic. Mm-hmm. They don't That's come out of the womb looking to harm each other. Right. What happens is, is, you know, one person infects five people in a game by having a bad day and by lashing out, mm. then those five people go on to, you know, to act out and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So if we can monitor that stuff a little better and and challenge ourselves to do a little better, I think mental health, you know, gaming is, a, is, is designed to be an escape, designed to be mm-hmm. a um, collaborative thing that we do together. Like if you take any game of League of Legends, right, you um, you start if you're playing by yourself and you haven't prearranged friends to meet up with in the game, you, the you're paired with strangers immediately and you have to coordinate on a plan and collaborate and talk and listen to each other, mm-hmm. take feedback, give feedback. Like that's, you know, that's a social challenge in and of itself. I've never met five strangers that I can instantly gel with and work towards a common goal without you know, a mm-hmm. bit of push and pull. So it, I, there's a lot of studies that show if you start gaming earlier um, as, a, as, a, as a kid, you, you do better when it comes to collaboration. You do better when it comes to problem solving. Um, you're generally, you know, more patient and more communicative. So I think it can unlock such, such wonderful things, but it can also unlock a, a ton of stuff that, you know, that none of us want to go through and that's what we are trying to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think you brought up a good point, too, that, you know, gaming is one ecosystem touchpoint in the digital space and that, you know, this is something that is a much larger conversation. It has to do with just how much time is spent on our devices and things like that, um, which I know, you know, is definitely an active conversation. I want to I want to shift back a bit to um, your work with brands. You know, if you're comfortable, I'd love for you to highlight some best in class examples and sort of help instruct my audience a bit 
on what to best to do in, in this space and what to avoid, like watch outs. You know, you talked a little bit about inauthenticity, which I definitely could see. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about some of your brand work? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we've worked with a ton of brands from, you know, Red Bull all the way through to Marvel. Like Marvel is actually an interesting case study. They, um, uh, through our partner Team Liquid, they did the first um, esports jersey line that Marvel has ever done, inspired oh, wow. by, you know, by X-Men. It, it was an amazing, amazing launch. And, I'll t- you know, I'll tell you why. I, I think never before really have I seen the kind of real life sporting heroes who embody the kind of messages behind X-Men, like the messages of, you know, of um, uh, teamwork and, and innovation and technology and all of those things blended together. I think it's, I think it was a better launch, frankly, than if you'd had them on every athlete in the NFL. Um, it was an incredible thing to see and it, we were privileged to be able to work on it. Um, you know, most of the time brands come into this space as sponsors. We worked, you know, on, like I said, with, on, on car brands and on um, soft drink brands, on clothing brands. Um, but they do well to come in kind of cautiously and to let the audience get to know them in this new setting. I think if you're trying to conquer the world immediately, you're going to come across again as sort of vampiric, but you're trying to um, just convert the audience straight away to to customers. Um, Whereas this is an audience that really appreciates if you launch something cool, take the time to get to know the space and speak their language. So a lot of the time we spend our time sort of as translators almost, you know, taking uh, marketing messages and taking a red pen to it and saying, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Why aren't we talking more about what you've done in this space, etc.? cetera. Uh, so it's, it's, it's fun and interesting work. That's amazing. You know, I, um, I'm, I'm curious, have you ever had an RFP come across your desk and you just thought this is, is this is just not a fit? It's just not a fit for the industry, for the space. They're looking like I, I'd love to get more into sort of like the watch outs. And the only reason why I bring this up is I work with a lot of, you know, marketing execs and, and leaders. And sometimes I find that, you know, and, and, and I mean, rightfully so, it's, it's sort of a new space that they're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Have you guys felt that quite a bit? Oh, a hundred percent. We turned down a lot of work for that reason specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes see an RFP and wonder just by reading what the request is, I already know, okay, this is probably going to take some explaining um, to, to make them realize this is how you should be talking to the esports audience. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you, Anna, that's a really great point. Like, do you guys have the opportunity to do like workshops or like to educate just because again, a ton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So workshops are actually one of, one of our favorite things to do, right? Nicola, back in the days when we were traveling, we did a bunch. Uh, we did a two day workshop with Red Bull. We did a two day workshop with a couple of um, endemic um, um, organizations. Uh, we helped develop brand messaging. Uh, we, we helped develop Kiva. Uh, um, we helped develop, um, Key values. Sorry, Nicola, what's the word for this? Gu- guiding values. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Let me re- let me read. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yes, we do a lot of workshops. We do workshops with orgs. We do workshops with brands. And what we basically do is uh, we lock ourselves in the meeting room for two days mm-hmm. and we don't let them go. 
until we first start. So this is the moment where Nicole and I ask a lot of really pointed questions right. and ask why five times and finally end up with, with a set of guiding values and a mission and a vision and a brand promise that help, uh, that help inform a communication strategy later on. This is surprisingly a step that a lot of brands skip when they come into the space. Mm-hmm. So they have their own of values and and things they want to do and goals mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily always tweak it for esports so you know they will come in and say this is who we are and especially the bigger the brand the more you see that trend mm-hmm. um this is who we are this is what we want to do this is what we achieved in the past and not necessarily realizing that esports fans just might not give a shit right because you don't speak directly to them you don't speak in the language they love you don't speak in a in a way that can understand you, you they don't relate to you in the same way your other type of fans could relate to you. Uh, so we, a large part of our job is helping brands flesh that language out and, and come across more authentically. Absolutely. No, it's interesting. You know, this is a category where I've seen digitally native brands that are created by the influencers themselves do really well. I was working over at full screen and they repped face clan at the time. And I mean, face clan could really push some serious sales when it came to their own apparel line versus let's say like an American Eagle or somebody going to them and saying, Hey, can you just promote this? Right? Mm-hmm. Like this category. And, and I think it really speaks to what you guys were talking about with authenticity and just unique flavor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's so easy to, to sort of slap an esports label on something and think that that's all it takes. The reason to your earlier question about do we t- turn work down or RFPs down that feel like they're not going to fly. One of the reasons we do that is because Anna and I agreed very early. We would only work on things that we feel like are adding to the gaming, to the gaming scene rather than looking to profit from it right. solely. Um, so we're not, you know, if you're just in it to sell as many burgers as possible, as as little marketing cost as possible, it's really not going to work. In fact, there was actually a, um, uh, I, I believe it was Burger King got called out for, they, they went onto streamers streams, um, and streamers accept donations and they'll thank whoever's given them a donation if it's at a certain amount. Um, and there was a guerrilla effort to get them to say Burger King things mm-hmm. by donating, and the names of it were like Burger King products or something. If it's mm-hmm. not Burger King, I, I retract, but I, yeah, I yeah. believe it was. Okay, um, it was, and they yeah. yeah, and they were just roundly, roundly criticised for it because it's such a cheap. Well, for one thing, it's such a cheapskate way to go about it, right? Um, and for another, like you, you know, you're really underestimating what it takes to actually reach this audience. If it's just a question of shouting out brand names, then anybody could do it, right? But if you'd partnered with them in a thoughtful way and actually created something that gamers loves, then you know you would have you would have had customers for life. It is interesting that you bring that up because whereas Travis's concert did really well, a, a few fashion brands have tried to reenact Fashion Week in the gaming space and I won't name names <laughs> just to be mm-hmm. respectful, but they've fallen completely flat. I mean, it's literally like they've thrown their name in the gaming space, but there's really no connection. Yeah. That to me just speaks to lack of passion, lack of planning, lack of passion. You know, that there, there really isn't an excuse here because you can educate yourself. We work with brands all the time that are just there to educate themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of a workshop or a, or a sort of immersion program say, you know what, let, let's sit on this for a little while and think about 
what would the right product be to enter the market or what is the right partnership or let's wait for the right team to come along that feel like they're the right match mm-hmm. uh, you know if if again if you're too eager to just start selling your product straight away it's it's palpable as, as a gamer i know it any of my gamer friends know it any of the community knows it Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about being entrepreneurs in this space and specifically also being female entrepreneurs. Do you guys find any unique challenges or tell me a bit about, I'm sure it's been a journey for you. I mean, just being an entrepreneur alone is a journey, but you know, also kind of the female side of things. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's no secret that gaming isn't a, um, a super balanced space in terms of female entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So Anna and I are rare um, in that we're female entrepreneurs at all, right? So we're already in a minority and we're in a majority male space when it comes to the sort of small business side of things. Um, from a marketing perspective, that often works in our favor because you know it's it's that much more remarkable and that much more interesting um from a business perspective i i don't know that it makes a a tangible difference Mm -hmm. i'd say that i would hope that um our interest in diversity our interest in making a more balanced um ecosystem you know and working on interesting projects that don't just fit along the same lines hopefully makes our work a little better a little more nuanced I've never been a male entrepreneur, right? So I don't, I don't know uh, how I would operate if I were on the other side of, of the of the gender fence. Um, but I, I think that you know we are a little bit more attuned to sort of being a disruptor in the space. Mm-hmm. So it makes our work a little bit more, a little bit more measured, a little bit more thought out. But also at the same time, we did our best from day one mm-hmm. to professionalize and grow up quote quote unquote as as fast as we could and we scaled very very fast both in terms of you know uh amount of clients we had people we hired and 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 work we did but also with regards to the processes and the setup and the you know just everything operation wise so from day one we didn't want to come we, we didn't want anybody to look at us and go like, oh, that's just some girls doing PR, mm-hmm. right? Like we wanted this to be, this has been a transatlantic global business from day one. This is, this has always had distributed teams. We've, we know, we've started with a bunch of really good clients. We've, we've raised money at a time when, you know, less than 3% of VC funding went to female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. So that, to me, that's an incredible achievement. Uh, but we never thought of ourselves as, you know, a tiny startup in esports. We always knew this is going to be as robust agency with a global reach. Yeah, and I do get that from you guys. And I think, you know, that's almost a more interesting narrative is that your authenticity in this space supersedes any other narrative, which I really appreciate. And I think it's important, you know, I've worked with a lot of brands like Mountain Dew and Red Bull and you know, you can sense that in talking to you guys that you really get the beat of the zeitgeist. And I do think in a way, you know, that does supersede things like gender. Um, I wanted to sort of wrap up the episode with with your key takeaways. We, we tend to like to do this on Next Gen Marketing Podcasts, you know, for marketers. Like if you had to sort of say, like, kind of what are the top three tips you'd leave my audience with? What would those be? Um. I think okay, let's. One, oh, sorry, Anna, go for it. I think that I have one that we both agree on, 
Uh, Nicola, is that we think that gaming and esports fans are among the most valuable fans in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will have none of your bullshit. <laughs> so if you do want to talk to them, and you definitely should, um, you should be talking to gamers. They don't have to listen to you because they have, you know, enough other things going on. So if you want to talk to gamers or esports fans, you really need to make sure that you speak to them mm-hmm. from the place of respect and from the place of adding value. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree with that. Um, I'd also expand the definition of what we mean when we say gamer, right? If I if I was talking about being a gamer 20 years ago, it would have meant somebody who, you know, had a, a Dreamcast or whatever system they had who would sit down and play a game or would log in. And, and now that definition is so fluid. We're spending all of our lives online. We have these social experiences. You know, we have like gamification is built into so many things that we do that I don't think it's necessary to think of yourself as a gamer in, it's kind of like if somebody asked you, you know, 50 years ago, do you watch TV? Uh, whereas now the question is ridiculous. Like, what do you mean? Do I watch TV? I was just watching a video on my phone. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm logging into this. I, I just watched a YouTube clip. Like I, you know, I'm watching Netflix later. Like TV has, has ceased to become, uh, the, the, the title that it used to be. And I think gaming is going along the same lines. So when we talk about it's, it's comforting for people sometimes to want to put things in boxes. Mm -hmm. And I think gamers are such a bigger and broader and more diverse category than we give them credit for. So I wouldn't underestimate, I'd say. Plus, plus I think we're at the point where esports and gaming are bridging generations, Mm -hmm. right? So gamers like us, they have kids and they may be still young, but they're already playing games. Or you see teenage fans bringing their parents to esports events. I've seen that, uh, I've seen that myself coming, you know, to League of Legends events. Um, So it's, it's a really interesting situation to look at when you, think you might be talking to you know the 16 17 18 year old who really likes fortnite but in fact you might be speaking to the entire family mm-hmm. that is into gaming and that is into streaming and and that type of entertainment yeah i'll tell you my my son is much more likely to see to see a team liquid game live mm-hmm. than he is to see a dodgers game live <laughs> um and I, I don't think i'm alone here so Anna, I know you wanted to talk a bit about some of the methodology that you guys incorporate for brands. Can you tell us a little bit about some of your innovations? Um, absolutely, yes. So um, right at the beginning of the story mob, Nicola sat down and written a little guide that we called Seven Commandments of Esports Communications. Oh, wow. It's literally that seven roles for brands um, uh, who want to get involved in esports and how to talk to fans. And the commandments are... Some might say pretty basic, but we, we do elaborate on them pretty deeply and uh, we do apply them to esports specifically. So it's definitely worth checking out on our website and downloading. It's free. It's right there. Just click download and you got it. Um, another content piece that Nicola authored is um, Beautiful Weirdos that she spoke mm-hmm. about earlier. That is a really comprehensive guide to esports personas and the type of heroes that you might uh, encounter. I love that term, beautiful weirdos. And I think it's so interesting that you guys are really helping marketers understand the main characters and narrative of this game culture. I think we're going to end the episode there, but I will definitely include links to all of your socials and your website so people can download all of your great resources. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get this podcast. And follow us on social media for top marketing tips from our guests.